0: Hello, and welcome to Thrive, a podcast that gives you strategies and inspiration to help you live your best life.
1: Learn from us, two cancer survivors, as we show you how we don't just survive, but thrive. Hi, I'm Dara Kurtz, creator of crazyperfectlife.com, a place to go to help you find meaning each day, and author of the book Crush Cancer, the book I needed when I heard those terrifying words, you have cancer, available on Amazon.
0: Hi, I'm Garth Callahan. I am a 7 time cancer thriver. But more importantly, I am also the original napkin notes dad. I've been writing notes to my daughter, Emma, and sticking them into her lunch ever since kindergarten.
1: We are so excited to introduce our audience to Karen Wonders, PhD, and the founder and director of Maple Tree Cancer Alliance. She works as a professor of exercise science at Wright State University and serves as the director of the sports science program. Dr. Wonders is an active researcher in the area of exercise and cancer treatment related pain and neuropathy, and we have much to discuss today. Welcome Dr. Wonders. We are so happy to get to talk to you. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk with you. So I'm super interested in really hearing about all of your findings in the research that you've done. So tell us a little bit about your research and all that you've learned. Sure. You know,
2: I've been doing research in the field of exercise oncology now for 17 years, which is really hard to believe. And initially what we would look at would be we had people that were going through chemotherapy and one of the main side effects with chemotherapy is problems with heart function and you know, it just it doesn't do well on the heart. And so we were looking at, you know, how does exercise, can exercise potentially help attenuate that or weaken some of the effects of the chemotherapy. So we, you know, would look at different bouts of exercise and different exercise protocols to see what effect that that had on the heart. And basically what we found over and over and over again, I mean, any type of exercise bout we would put together, any intensity, any dose was cardioprotective. In some instances, it almost made it like the heart was not even exposed to the chemotherapy at all. And so for me, you know, I spent three years doing that while I was getting my PhD. And that's really what made me a believer in this and what made me realize that exercise truly is medicine. There, There is something here that's protective. And um, that led me to begin my organization, Maple Tree, and since then we've been continuing to conduct research and now we kind of look a little bit more broad based on quality of life and symptom severity and cost savings and and you know all of those factors that are affected when someone is going through cancer treatment and time and time again we see that exercise is beneficial in all of those things
1: so i'm interested to know if, if there's kind of like the magic formula if you will In terms of the, do this, if you're going through treatment, do this amount, and obviously everyone's different and coming to the table with different types of cancer and different treatment plans and their health before they even start, whatever it is they're going through. So I, I understand there's not, everyone's different, but have you found that you can say, for example, 30 minutes of exercise every single day or five days a week is the magic number or, you know, is there even such a thing as a magic number? You know, I really, I wish that there was,
2: but at present, because there are so many different types of cancer and because the treatments are so individualized and each Mm -hmm. person is going to respond so differently depending on, you know, the history that they're bringing into the cancer and then what they're doing as they're going through the, the cancer treatment. That it is difficult to kind of pinpoint what is the magic bullet when it comes to exercise. There was recently a paper that was released by the American College of Sports Medicine back in October, which kind of tried to summarize all of the literature that is out there on this topic. And, you know, we're talking about probably 50,000 published articles on this topic that, that say that exercise is beneficial for this cancer and that cancer and this treatment and that treatment. And, you know, essentially the recommendations that were put forth in this paper said for the patient to strive for 150 minutes of exercise per week, which equates to about 30 minutes a day. But, you know, when you boil that down to the individual, it is so unique to that person. And just like, Every treatment is going to be individualized for that person. I believe that exercise really should be as well. And, you know, it's not always necessarily a one size fits all approach because sometimes someone might be having a bad day and that instance, you need to modify what it is that they're doing. And so we really try to try to take an individualized approach to our exercise treatment.
0: So let's talk about me. (laughs)
1: Okay. So let's take this opportunity to give Garth some free (laughs) advice. (laughs) I'm just kidding. That's good. (laughs) I'm happy to help, Garth. (laughs) So
0: so Dara and I are both cancer survivors. I'm a survivee, I think. So I did daily chemotherapy for four and a half years. And when I hear you say, 30 minutes of exercise a day. And so not only was I doing daily chemotherapy, but I was a husband and a dad and a full-time employee during that time period. There was no way that I could have carved out 30 minutes a day. And even if I could have throwing up, probably would have gotten in the way. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so now I'm doing a much easier treatment. It's an immunotherapy treatment. I am very fatigued. So waking up in the morning is is a big challenge for me. Once I get going, I'm pretty okay. And just recently, within the past three weeks or so, I decided to start sprinting. Mm. So I hate running. I've always hated it. But I have a dog who loves to run and run fast for short intervals. So in order to make my work life better, because I work at home, and I don't want her barking like crazy at two o'clock in the afternoon because she's full of energy. I take her out in the morning and we run around a softball field and we run at a pretty good pace. Good for me anyway. And then we do a couple of like 50 yard dashes. And we do that over and over again until her tongue is so long that it's touching the ground. And I know that she's going to sleep for a good five or six hours after that. But again, and I'm still a full-time employee. I'm a husband, I'm a dad. And when I'm not looking like I'm full of energy, I'm tapped out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, help me understand what would be a really good program for me to strive for. Knowing Again, knowing that, I mean, I, the, the fatigue, and, and I think this is the same for anybody who's in treatment. Fatigue is just killer. Um, and as a follow-up question, I was really unaware of how chemo affected my heart Should I be seeing somebody, you know, should I see a specialist to have them check it out?
2: Um, Well, just to address that question real quick, only certain types of chemotherapy can negatively affect the heart. And so chances are, if you were taking that particular type of chemotherapy, they were already monitoring you. And so if that was not brought up as an issue or as something that they were monitoring, chances are you're okay with that. So Number one.
1: So I can kind of, and also along with that, like six years ago, I went through breast cancer and I took Herceptin. And so Mm -hmm. that is a drug that can hurt your heart. And so I regularly, routinely, during that time period, I don't know, what did I have? Like whatever the heart tests are, we would have those Mm -hmm. regularly. And then when I finished that, and everything never, my heart was always fine. I never, my doctor said, you don't have to worry about that now because we monitored it during that time period. And anyway, so.
2: Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah. I actually did my dis- my dissertation on Herceptin. So that is, that's really good that it did not affect your heart. Generally with the heart, the cardiotoxicity that you see, it's a cumulative dose that builds up. And so as you're, Dose of chemotherapy and herceptin increases, then you see an increase in the dysfunction of the heart, if if there's going to be one. But so much of it, kind of what I was saying before, so much of it is affected by your health status whenever you begin treatment and how you're tolerating the treatment. And you know, there's so many different factors that come into play. But Garth, I think you brought up a really good point when you address the fatigue that people experience. You know, the fatigue that is the number one symptom that's experienced by people who are battling cancer. It's, you know, like 98% of, of patients experience this fatigue and it's a whole body. It's a debilitating interfering with your activities of daily living fatigue that we're talking about. And so, you know, it might sound insensitive to say, Oh, just, you know, go for a walk or just do some sprints with your dog. What's the big deal? And, you know, and I don't think myself, I fully understood or appreciated the fatigue until I saw my grandfather go through his own cancer journey. And I'll never forget right after he was diagnosed, um, I walked into the room and he was sitting in a chair and my grandmother was feeding him scrambled eggs. And He looked at me and he said, "You have no idea how exhausting it is just to Mm -hmm. eat these eggs." And you know, so that's the fatigue. And at that point, you know, obviously he couldn't go to the gym. He couldn't go outside even and take a walk. I mean, he he was he was pretty sick. But if you look at the research and you look at the literature that's out there, the literature would say when you're feeling fatigued, if you do a, a light easy bout of exercise, it actually will improve your energy levels. And I think it's looking at that research and then looking at the individual and saying, okay, what is it that you can do in this time? Because most people would look at that person and say, okay, if you're that tired, just take a nap. But if the research is saying, but try five minutes, if you can just walk for five minutes, let's see what effect that has on your fatigue. And so with my grandfather, when he was, you know, exhausted trying to eat scrambled eggs, that my grandmother was feeding him. I said, okay, what if we get you out of bed and we walk just one lap around the downstairs of your house and then you go back to bed. And I think to anyone from the outside looking in, that would have looked like nothing. Like why even bother with that? But that little bout of, of exercise, meeting him right where he was that actually did help to boost his energy levels and not only that but it improved his mood and improved it gave him a sense of control and a sense of hope over what was happening to him and so it really did make an impact and and you know ever since then that was in 2007 my motto has always been something is better than nothing and let's just meet the person right where they are And whatever they can do, let's start there. And as you build strength and as you build your energy levels, then we can increase. But doing something is always going to be better than doing nothing. And, you know, being busy, I get, I have seven kids, so I totally
0: understand.
2: Wow. (laughs)
0: That, okay, that, that's a different podcast episode, and I really think we'll have you back for that.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yes, that's a whole other episode. Um, but I understand being busy, and one of the cool things about exercise is it doesn't have to be thirty continuous minutes. If you just were to break down in your exercise into a ten-minute bout in the morning, a ten-minute bout in the afternoon, you know, ten-minute bout at dinner time that cumulative effect of exercise still has the same benefits as one full 30 minutes out and so really i think it becomes where can i sneak a little bit of extra activity into my day when you know for me whenever i'm folding laundry i will you know i'll stop and i'll do like some push-ups or if i'm giving the kids a bath i'll do squats or one time i did burpees and you don't want to do that on a slippery floor but you know it's <laughs> trying to trying to sneak it in wherever you can just to increase your your activity levels. And over time, that cumulative effect will help you feel better and help improve your energy. And, you know, you'll see the benefits of that.
1: I think that is so true. And I love how you said that you believe in meeting the person where they are and then just kind of growing from that. I'm curious about if you've done research that has been after someone goes through treatment or even looking at just, society as a whole, if you will, but really kind of focusing on cancer prevention and how exercise can play a role in that. So I don't, have you done, or can you share with us the research about that? Is there, again, I'm going to go back to this magical formula in terms of exercise and cancer prevention. Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. And there
2: is a lot of data out there that looks at exercise and also nutrition, and you know eating a plant-based diet in the role, and we're going to go
1: there. We're going to go to that topic right after this question. Cause uh, I'm all right, super excited <laughs> to talk to you about that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know there is a lot of research to look at the role
2: that that could possibly play in cancer prevention, and you know there is definitely a protective effect of exercise, and there's definitely a protective effect of healthy nutrition and eating a plant-based diet, whole foods, nutrition, all of that, it's not a guarantee. And you know, I do talk a lot with patients. So on a broad spectrum, we serve about 5,000 patients a year, give or take. 90% of them did not exercise before Mm -hmm. their cancer Mm -hmm. diagnosis. So you still have 10% who did exercise and who did eat healthy and those people sometimes come to maple tree almost feeling like their bodies betrayed them like i did this i checked all the boxes i did all the things i ate all the vegetables and i still got cancer like and 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 they're really upset that that this happened Um, And so, you know, there are environmental factors that come into play and genetics that come into play. And, you know, there's so many different causes of cancer. But I always look at it like, well, possibly your exercise and your healthy living was able to keep cancer at bay for a number of years before you were actually diagnosed. Like my own grandfather, he was very, very active. He exercised his entire life. And when he got cancer, that was one of the things that people said was, well, he, he exercised and he was quote unquote healthy. So how did he get sick? And, and, you know, and it was just one of those things that maybe have he not made those, those conscious decisions to eat healthy and to live a healthy lifestyle, maybe he would have been diagnosed with cancer 10 years earlier. Like you never know what you were able to prevent by making these healthy choices On the other side of that, there is a ton of data out there looking at exercise and plant-based diets and keeping cancer in remission. And um, for certain types of cancers, particularly breast cancer and prostate cancer and stomach GI cancers, they're definitely seeing a protective effect of the exercise and the healthy eating and helping to keep the person in remission and reducing cancer-related mortality as a result, after they've developed the cancer. Yeah,
0: I, re- I remember when I was first diagnosed with cancer, or or shortly somewhere you know, in that first year or so, I wanted to have a conversation with my daughter for a couple of reasons. I wanted her to understand that the cancer that I had was not genetically inherited, um, so I didn't get it mm-hmm. from my parents and she wouldn't get it from me. But I took that opportunity to kind of talk about the top 10 cancers that are out there and we went over the risk factors. One of my early oncologists, when I was asking about, you know, is there just something wrong with me? And she said, yes, probably. Because the two cancers I was diagnosed with- She were said, typ- how
1: much time do you have? And I'll yeah. Be- <laughs> I'm <just kidding> <laughs> Yeah.
0: And she basically said, yeah, you know, the cancers you've been diagnosed with are typically diagnosed in 65-year-old men. And I was 42. And so we couldn't really determine the why, which was fine. But I wanted to- you know, give my daughter a head start. And mm-hmm. so we took a look at the top 10 cancers in the United States. We took a, a look at all of the risk factors for those top 10 and the amount of risk factors in those top 10, you know, outside of smoking and lung cancer, you know, almost all of those, the, the risk factors were obesity, high blood pressure, mm-hmm. poor diet, no exercise. And it wasn't necessarily, hey, you're checking these boxes or you're not checking these boxes and therefore you're going to get it. But there was such overwhelming evidence that said, you know what? If if you don't exercise and you don't have a you have a high fat, you know, diet and you are, you know, obese or overweight, you're adding extra risk factors to your overall life.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I think that was a really strong conversation to have with my daughter who was an early teen at the time. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, I think it's very powerful. And to me, it's encouraging to know that there are things within my control that I can choose to do today that will help reduce my risk for developing cancer. Like I said, it's not a guarantee. But it certainly helps i mean if it were the flip if it were 90% was out of your control and you could only control 10% wouldn't we feel so helpless
0: <laughs> but to yeah, know that you might as well that, text and drive and run with scissors
2: well exactly exactly and so to know that yeah there are some things that are out of out of my control and i mean the same thing with heart disease and you know you look at you know a lot of the the major chronic diseases that americans suffer from so much of it is lifestyle related and you know there are factors still that you have you can't do anything about your age you can't do anything about your gender your family history but there are a lot of choices that you can make today that are going to help reduce your risk of getting these diseases tomorrow which to me is very encouraging
1: so when we talk about exercise are you saying that you typically recommend that people exercise for 30 minutes Seven days a week. Is that kind of the, or what do you personally do? I mean, I always love to ask my doctors, you know, what do you do? Because I think that says a lot.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think it's so important to practice what you preach. I typically recommend that people follow the ACSM guidelines, which are 150 minutes of moderate exercise intensity um, every week. And so for me, that kind of equates. To about five days a week of activity. Um, Right now, I'm I'm training for a marathon, so I probably am doing a little bit more than that. But in general, I'm striving for that 150 minutes. Um, I also would recommend two to three days a week of strength training, and whatever that looks like for you, whether it's just doing push-ups and squats, or if you can get a, a pair of you know light weights and do some activity just as long as you're safe and, you know, have good form, you know, I would recommend doing that just to help um, build bone density and to help increase your strength and your musculature, particularly if you are battling cancer, that would be my recommendation. And then of course, stretching is the most neglected component of fitness. So I always make sure to include that in my workouts as well.
1: Such good advice. Well, I'm really Mm -hmm. hoping that we can switch kind of take the conversation and discuss your diet, healthy eating, and you specifically brought up plant-based and I'm so excited to kind of talk to you and hear your thoughts on this. This is a question that I have asked for years. I have asked Mm -hmm. so many doctors, people that I've met, you know, the circles that I meet when I'm speaking and kind of out. I mean, I do come in contact with a lot of people. I feel like nobody can give me an answer when I say, should I be eating a plant-based diet? And I would love to hear your thoughts.
2: Yes, that is a great question. And that is a point of frustration for me as well, because you, I mean, the chances are you won't find a doctor who will tell you flat out, this is what you should eat and here's what you should not eat.
1: And is it because they haven't done the research or it's really hard to measure because um, not all proteins are created equally, for example, like, are you eating organic or are you eating regular chicken? So like, how do you Mm -hmm. even measure that in terms of, there's so many different factors.
2: Exactly. And so I think the doctors would tell you that there's not enough research. Um, I've also had a doctor tell me point blank, if he had a patient who wasn't eating, he would tell that patient to eat whatever they wanted. He, yeah. he, he would say, eat sugar, eat milkshakes, eat chicken nuggets, whatever, all the food that like we would sit here and say you shouldn't eat. Because he, they're just would trying say. to get calories at that time. Right, exactly, exactly. So I think that is why. I've had doctors behind closed doors mm-hmm. tell me that they would recommend a vegan diet, which some... Some dietitians would say that that might be a little too extreme and because of the B vitamins and all of that stuff. And so I think plant-based is a very non-threatening way to say, you know, you can still like, this is follow these principles. If it were me, if I were battling cancer, I would probably, based on the research that I've done, I would probably be 100% vegan. Just... Based, like I said, based off of the research that I've done personally, and just knowing the effect that plants have on you. I mean, I believe I'm a, I'm a person of faith and I believe that fruits and vegetables were created for us and for our bodies. And, and that's how our bodies are going to function the best is is by eating the foods that we were intended to, to eat.
1: Whenever we talk about, and we've had lots of other people on the podcast that have we've kind of talked through this and I agree with you actually so much in terms of everything that you're saying. Protein always comes up, you know, Mm -hmm. the amount of protein that you should be eating. If you do eat plant-based, can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yes. I personally have been a vegan now for about a year and a half and protein was the
1: first thing that everyone. And you know, Mm -hmm. I'd actually think our listeners would love to just hear a little bit about that journey for you in a second in terms of like sure. why you made that decision and what mm-hmm. that looks like but sorry I interrupted. yeah yeah no I'm happy
2: to talk through that you know for me it's been a journey where I have exercised my entire life since I was five years old and for a long time I felt like that gave me a free pass to eat whatever I wanted in fact that was always kind of like a running joke in my household was you know if I was craving "Quote unquote fruit," I would go get Skittles because I had <laughs> a sweet tooth. That fruit wasn't sweet enough, and <laughs> with with each of my pregnancies, I developed gestational diabetes. And honestly, I've been pregnant a lot, <laughs> and <laughs> I, I really initially I didn't take it seriously. I would just think, "Oh, you know, well maybe." you know, this will be good because I'll get extra ultrasounds or maybe, you know, I can deliver a little bit early and I won't have to be, you know, 48 weeks pregnant and miserable. And, you know, so I would think of it from that perspective, but after my fourth child, generally the diabetes, if you're gestational diabetes, it goes away after delivery and you go in in six weeks to kind of test your sugar and make sure you're good. And well, after my fourth child, it did not go away. I stayed borderline diabetic. And with that particular pregnancy, I was on medication. I had so many problems with blood sugar, swings, highs, and lows that I actually passed out while he was being delivered in the delivery room. It was, Mm. it was a nightmare pregnancy. And that was a wake up call for me being told six weeks later no, unless you make some major lifestyle choices or changes, you are going to develop diabetes. And so that's really when I started looking into the food that I was eating. And it just so happened to be that that was right when maple tree was kind of getting off the ground. And, you know, we were starting to serve some patients. And I was really kind of praying through what does this organization look like? Is it just exercise or what role does nutrition have in it? And and that's when I really started, you know, looking at all of that. And so initially I became a vegetarian and that was based off of, I, I watch a lot of food documentaries. So I watched Forks Over Knives and that was pretty impactful for me. And I really felt like, okay, you know, I can get on board with being a vegetarian, being a vegan, that, that to me at the time, especially, it just seems very expensive dream. And I don't think I was ready to go there yet. Um, And so for eight years, I was a vegetarian and was learning more and more. Like for a period of time, I made my own bread and I made all the baby food. And I was really, really strict about the foods that I was bringing into my house and feeding my family. Then about a year and a half ago, I had a a really good friend who her father and her father-in-law were both diagnosed with cancer within a week of each other. Mm. and their families were very divided on what is the best treatment path for these two men. They were very close-knit families, both of them, and, you know, they had seen some documentaries that kind of demonized the chemotherapy and the cancer industry in general, and so she reached out to me, and she said, Karen, what would you do? You know, if this was your dad, what would you say? And I said, listen, you know, I've been working in this industry for a very long time. Some of the greatest people I know are oncologists and nurse, nurse oncologists. And, you know, I have the utmost respect for these individuals. So if it were me, if it were my dad, I would do the traditional treatments, hundred percent, but I would exercise every day and I would eat a vegan diet. And she said, oh, well, how do you do that? <laughs> And I said, I don't know. (laughs) And I thought, okay, well, if I really think that, if that is what I would do and what I believe, and that's my answer, I'm sticking to it, then maybe I should figure it out. Because if I can do it with two jobs and seven kids and figure out how to please my family and and keep the, the gnashing of teeth at bay, then, you know, perhaps I might be able to help someone else who might be in a similar situation, do the same thing. And, and so that's really what led me to myself adopt a vegan lifestyle. And, and, you know, there was, there was definitely an adjustment. There's, I would say for the first couple, cause I started in October. So I immediately ran into Halloween mm-hmm. and learning that pink starbursts were not vegan was heartbreaking. <laughs> 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 and then, you know, Thanksgiving, was a challenge. Christmas was a challenge. But then after that, I had figured it out. And I'm like, okay, I did it. You know, I, I had my first vegan Thanksgiving, and I'm still here to talk about it. And you know, it was fine. It just wasn't what I was used to. And since then, I really haven't given it a second thought. It's just now a part of my life. I know what I can eat. I know what I can't. The the protein, Um, I, I track my nutrients using the MyFitnessPal app on my phone. And, that, you know, everything that I eat, I put into there. And then I can clearly see if I've gotten enough protein for the day or if I haven't. And, you know, I, I eat the protein shakes. I do the beans. I do the lentils and, and all of that. I mean, you don't need as much protein as, as what Americans typically get. And so if you're doing the, the protein
1: shakes and the, the lentils and the beans, chances are you're doing okay. And so it's hard. not... So has, has that impacted your sugars because you're eating, I know if you take like a certain bean and then you mix it with a grain that produces the perfect whatever, I'm not <laughs> <right>. <laughs> but did that impact your sugar at all? Because you're talking about impact eating a lot of carbs if you're eating lentils and beans and such. Right. So initially when I first
2: became a vegetarian, I ate a ton of carbs because I ate a lot of refined carbohydrates. Let me say it Mm -hmm. that way. So I would eat pasta and bread all day long. And because my fear was if I eat just vegetables, I'm going to be starving all the time. And you know, how do you, how do you live like that? And so the carbs that I'm eating, like I, I believe that carbs are really important for our body and that we need to have the majority of our calories coming from carbohydrates. But what I try to stay away from is the refined carbohydrates. And so I really don't eat bread. I don't eat pasta. If I have rice, I try to have the brown rice and the, the less refined. And if I follow that, I do much better. Like I don't, I don't bloat out. I don't have the inflammation. I don't have the swings with my blood sugar. If I do have carbs, like there's just some days where I just want a piece of bread and, or, you know, if my family is eating a pasta and, and I'm just like, oh, that looks so good. And I'll have some, which is rare. But if I do immediately, I can tell immediately my body just, responds by like bloating outwards, <laughs> And so I think for me, my body is so sensitive to the foods that I eat that I just, I have to be careful, but I think, you know, if I, if I stick to my nutrition and I cut out the processed foods and I cut out the refined foods, then generally I do not have problems with blood sugar or highs and lows and swings like
1: that. So interesting. And I I love that you practice what you preach and I love that you said, you know what, maybe I should just try to figure this out. If this is what I'm telling people, why am I not doing it now? Like if, mm-hmm. if if I think it's so important and also just all the research, I mean, it is becoming more mainstream people. If you say like, I'm a vegan nowadays, I don't think that people look at you maybe like they did 10, even just 10 years ago. I mean, I think uh-huh. it, it's becoming we all know so many people that have kind of gone down that path and I personally eat mostly plant based, but, and you know, after this conversation, I'm actually going to go back mm-hmm. and rethink some things because I do eat organic meat, chicken, and I do eat, and dairy's always been one that I've really, as a breast cancer survivor, it's been about almost six years, but you know, I do really believe that it's probably in my best interest to not eat dairy, but you know, again, some of these things are so hard to measure Mm -hmm. and it's been such a challenge for me to try to get to the bottom of, you know, Mm -hmm. what is in my best interest. And I do think what you said about, you know, plants, fruits and vegetables at the end of the day. Yes. I do think that they are what's best for our bodies.
0: Mm -hmm. I think, you know, one of the things that cancer patients go through is, you know, there's this, this act of bargaining that happens, right? So whether it's with God or the universe or whatever, they're like, okay, if I get through this and let me continue to, you know, do this, 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 and this, and I won't get cancer again. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's really not the way to look at it because you have had cancer, right? You've had that genetic disposition at that point. Your, your genes have expressed themselves in a certain way. And yes, you can impact that in the future. But the time to do this is before, mm. right? If, if, you, if you are exercising and you are eating the diet that's appropriate for you, and you're kind of avoiding the things that can cause genetic mutations to happen, the time to do that is before the mutation happens. You know, obviously that, that doesn't include anybody who's genetically predisposed through some sort of family inheritance, but, you know, and again, you can't, um, like I look at my body, I am doing my best to reverse the damage. And I think between my cycles of exercise um, and, and, you know, on a side note, uh, having a dog is a great way mm-hmm. to get that thirty minutes, right? So, um, True. we, m- I can't, I can't tell you how many times I said to my wife, "Oh, I'm too tired to walk the dog," and she was just like, "It's your job. You go walk the dog." I love um, your
1: wife. She's right. like, she's like, I don't care.
0: Yeah, uh-huh. but it was like, hey, look, she's, you know, she knew in her head,
1: she was helping uh, you, right? She was helping my, my you husband just wants to you. sit
0: on the couch, but. If he goes to walk the dog, he's probably out for 30 or 45 minutes. And it might not be great exercise, but it's something, you know, between treatment and exercise and eating what I can, I feel that I'm responding much better. I've, I've provided an environment so that my body is very receptive to the treatment because most patients who are in my shoes do not live as long as I've lived. Mm-hmm. And, you know, is it that I'm just incredibly lucky? I would say no, because I got the cancer to start with, right? That that kind mm-hmm. of erases the luck. But I am doing what I can to make sure that my body can repair itself and can live a good, long, full life despite having cancer kind of scattered throughout. Mm-hmm.
2: Right. Well, it, it's just like what your, your podcast is. I mean, you're choosing to thrive in, in the middle of this very, very hard, difficult diagnosis. And I think that if anyone is listening and can take heart with, you know, maybe they're sitting here thinking, well, I didn't exercise, I didn't eat healthy. And, you know, now I have cancer. So what's the use? You can do things right now, whether you were just diagnosed yesterday or whether you were diagnosed 50 years ago, or you've never had cancer. We all have things that we can do and there are choices that you can make. And, you know, maybe it's not that you eat one cookie and you get cancer, but the cumulative effect of all of these choices every single day, they do play a role in protecting your body or hurting your body. And, you know, I think just being mindful of these choices that we're eating and trying day in and day out to do the best that you can is, is so important. And I really believe it will protect your body. Um, it, it can lead to to help, uh, you know, preventing certain types of cancer. Um, but then if you have the cancer, it will help you to thrive. You know, I mean, it, it's so much better than just giving up and just saying, well, what are you going to do? You know, cause, cause we've seen people on both ends of that spectrum. And um, we had a, a patient, the one, the one patient who was probably the most impactful in my, my own personal life was a woman named Cynthia, who had been battling breast cancer off and on for 17 years. And she was the very first patient that we ever served. And two years earlier, she had been diagnosed, or I guess it was two and a half years earlier, she had been diagnosed again with a stage four metastatic breast cancer and was told at that point, go home, get your affairs in order. We can't even treat you and, and just basically give up. And she chose, at that point, she chose to eat a vegan diet and to exercise. And for two years following that, she was able to completely stop her cancer growth and she still died i mean so i don't want to like lead you into in any misconceptions that if you do this you're never gonna die from cancer you know you're always gonna beat it it always is gonna be positive and sunshine and roses like she still died from the cancer but she got two extra years which was huge she got to see her daughter graduate from high school she got to see another daughter get married. I mean, the, the things that can happen in your life in two years are incredible. And she got to be a part of that. And I believe with my whole heart, it was because she ate a vegan lifestyle and because she exercised. I believe that those two things are what allowed her to live for two extra years. And I carry that with me every day.
0: I so mean, Dara, I just think, yeah. Dara, it's been a while since I've teared up on our podcast. And it's happening right now. And here's why. So you talked about the changes that this woman made and she got two extra years. Back in 2014, I actually had doctors tell me that I could expect to live a year. And I was very fortunate that I responded incredibly well to the treatment. But here's where, in some cases, an extra year or two or three really matters. So I got to see my daughter graduate high school, which we had no expectation was going to happen, right? Mm. We got to drive her to school, to to college, kick off her college career. Again, something I never expected to do. But even more importantly than all of these family events that I was able to partake in, I lived long enough for a new treatment to come out.
2: Mm, Yes. And,
0: And so now I'm on this treatment where my body's responding really, really well, the side effects are 80% less than what I was experiencing before. Mm -hmm. And this treatment seems to have some really high sustainability, which means that at 50, where again, we never thought that I'd make it to 50, we're looking at real statistics that say, I'm going to die of old age or a car accident first. Wow, that's incredible. And so, right, so it's that eternal hope. So what you're doing is you're helping people get to, I never thought I need to live five years. I always thought to myself, I need to live until tomorrow. Because Mm -hmm. tomorrow, who knows what's going to be available to me for treatment, for surgeries, for whatever And that's it. Right. So Mm -hmm. if you can if you can help provide that hope, because hope is the it's the utmost emotion that Mm -hmm. is going to help people survive.
1: Right. Without hope, what do you have? Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your Maple Tree Cancer Alliance.
2: Well, I started Maple Tree in 2011. And a lot of that came from the research that I had done when I was getting my doctorate. Um, So I got my doctorate at the University of Northern Colorado from 2003 to 2006. And, you know, we did cancer research every day. And that was just my world that I lived in. And honestly, I didn't realize going into it, that what we were doing was so innovative. I just thought, this is is what I was told to research, so I'm going (laughs) to research it, and hey, like this is pretty cool. (laughs) And, you know, so after I graduated, I moved to Ohio with my family and began teaching and really wanted to continue the work that I had been doing in my doctorate. And so I went to the different hospitals in the area and introduced myself and, you know, asked if I can volunteer, just do research exercise oncology, you know, whatever you need, I'm here, I'm your girl. And quickly learned that exercise was not a part of the standard of care, and was even lectured by a couple oncologists who believed that exercise was not safe people with cancer to do because he said that the increase in blood flow could cause cancer cells to spread throughout the body and, and, you know, advised me to go back you know, back home, <laughs> back to the kitchen. I guess I don't know. And, oh my! Goodness. And I was like, no, no. You know, I've done this research for for three years. I've, I've seen it over and over again. You know, we've studied the biochem. I I really believe there's something here. And it was just one of those things that I couldn't get out of the back of my mind was we could be helping people. You know, people every day are being diagnosed with cancer, and and who's there to help them with this if, if not me? You know, if, if this is not a part of the standard of care, who's telling them to do this? And so in the back of my mind, it was always one of those things where I thought, okay, whenever my, my children are all in school, maybe I'll start a program, maybe I'll do this. It's, it's good that I didn't wait that long because my kids are, I didn't know at the time I'd have seven kids. <laughs>
0: They're still not all in
2: school. It was just a journey that really I was on. And, and really one day, it was the summer after I got ten years at my university that I thought, okay, it was almost a crossroads in my life. I felt like I could either coast. Now I have job security for the rest of my life. I'll just have a bunch of babies and be happy. Or I could try this knowing that no one is doing this and everyone should be doing this. And, you know, that's really what led me to to begin Maple tree was the hope of helping just one person And never in a million years would I have dreamed that it would have become what it is. And, you know, I I really believe in a lot of ways, this is just the beginning. I I really do think that we're gaining so much momentum. And the idea of exercise oncology is just picking up around the world. I mean, not even just here in America, but it's becoming a worldwide phenomenon and, you know, it's my hope and my goal that, that Maple Tree would really lead the way in, in establishing this and a standard of care for everybody.
1: Amazing. So how do people work with you or go to one of your centers? Like, tell us a little bit about how our listeners can have the Maple Tree experience. Yes. Well, we right now have 19
2: centers in the U.S. We are located primarily in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Florida, and California. My goal is to be nationwide within the next five years. It's happening, it's it's picking up, it's picking up, I will say that. But in the meantime, we do have a lot of programs available on our website. And so, you know, please feel free to check out our website. It's www.mapletreecanceralliance.org. We have a number of online programs that are designed to help people who have never exercised before or never eaten healthy before. Like we talk about the very basics all the way from that to we have weight loss programs for people who may have gained weight during cancer treatment. A lot of hormone-driven cancers cause weight gain. And so we kind of talk through different strategies to help you reduce that weight. We have a membership option where you can Get customized workouts and recipes that are all subdivided according to your symptoms. And you know, if you're fatigued, try these recipes. If you're immune compromised, these recipes might help. So we have a lot of different things available to people. And then we do a lot of challenges. So last summer we did a Meatless Monday together. We had more than a hundred people sign up for it. It was, it was a pretty exciting, it was exciting for us. That was a lot of people. Over length, this year, we're going to do a 40-day sugar-free challenge. And so we have a webinar coming up where we're going to kind of talk through sugar and where is it hidden in foods and how can you spot it? And what does it do in the body? And then from that, we're going to lead into join us for 40 days, sugar-free. We'll give out recipes. We'll cry together on social media. <laughs> but our goal is just really to try to give people the tools that they need to implement a healthy lifestyle because people know they should do it. it. But there's a big difference between knowing you should and actually doing it. And so we want to try to bridge that gap for
0: people. I grew up Catholic. I'm a practicing Catholic and celebrate Lent. But in my mind, I'm already thinking of like the loopholes.
1: Right? <laughs> Sundays. Sundays. <laughs> like, like, that's right. Sundays. Right. So Sundays
0: don't count. Way to keep uh, <laughs> the
1: system. Yeah. <laughs> Oh but, you know, Whatever that... works for
2: you. Hey, if you give me six days a week, I'll let you have Sundays. Yes, oh, it's
0: fine. so funny. I, I'm. I think my parents did not. They neglected to tell me growing up that Sundays didn't count. Oh, um,
1: that is so, so funny. Oh my gosh. I People won't tell. Have- I won't
2: tell a soul.
1: <laughs> so at Maple Tree, all of
2: our services, whether it's the individualized exercise programming or the nutrition counseling that we do or the emotional support, all of that is one-on-one. It's individualized and tailored right to the needs of the individual. And the best part of all is it's all free. So the patients don't pay for anything.
1: That's amazing, Karen. So I'm just gonna ask you, who's paying? How does that work? (laughs) Well, being that we're a
2: nonprofit, we do get a lot of personal donations and private donations. Um, I write a ton of grants. I wrote 32 grants last year. And then in a lot of instances, we're supported by hospital foundations, which underwrite a lot of the cost for
1: us. Amazing. Of course, we'll put um, the link to the website in the show notes so all of our listeners can click on that and learn more about you and the center. And really, I think it's just a plethora of knowledge that our listeners can get the answers to all their questions. So thank you so much. Your work is absolutely beautiful and we are so impressed. We always ask our listeners if they will share with us a thriving tip, which is just like a little extra nugget of goodness. And you've already shared so Mm. much with us, but if there was like one thriving tip that you personally use in your life every day that you would love to share with our listeners, what would it be?
2: I always say that something is better than nothing. And so when there's days that you just don't feel like it, and I have days like that where I just, I'm not feeling it. I always think, well, you know, something is better than nothing and every little bit is going to add up to make a change. And so give yourself five minutes and I promise you won't regret it.
0: I I love that. There's a, a saying that I've, I've recently adopted and it, Although the saying is new to me, the practice isn't new, which is no zero days. Mm. And so, when I started writing notes to my daughter and sticking them into her lunch, we made a commitment as a family that there were there was never not going to be a note in her lunch, which Mm. also meant that we went to extreme measures when I screwed up because I'm human, right? Mm -hmm. And so there were days that I would forget, and then I would have to drive the note to school. And Aww. give it to the office people so that they could stick it in their lunch before lunchtime.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: that no zero days. And I've recently started to really think about that in terms of the exercise. You know, if, if nine o'clock rolls around at night and I'm ready for bed and I haven't exercised, then I have to do one push up. Mm. Right? I love it's, that. It's a, it's a no zero days. So, what's interesting is I had one of the things that I do on the Thrive podcast is I share a napkin note. One of the notes, one of the many, many notes that I've written to my daughter over the course of the wow. years. And fortunately, one of the things that I started doing when I was initially diagnosed with, with cancer was that I started cataloging the notes. So, I have taken pictures of every single note that I've ever written to her. And I had looked at this earlier and I was trying to figure out how to work it into today's conversation. But you just teed me up in the most perfect way. And this is a note that I wrote five years ago to her. Wow. Yeah. So and again, I we've kept all of these. And so for again, for those of you who who might be listening to the Thrive podcast for the first time. I've been writing notes and sticking them into my daughter's lunch ever since kindergarten. She's a sophomore in college, and she still gets a daily napkin note from me. Mm. Um, and so, this is a note that I wrote back in 2015. Dear Emma, you can't drive a parked car. Pick an option and go. Starting is progress.
2: Mm, that's perfect.
0: Yeah. So I mean, you you te- you couldn't have teed me up better for that note. <laughs> I and, love it. And that's the thing, right? So if if, if exercising is hard, mm-hmm. right? E- even for people who are routine exercisers, building that momentum, uh, you know, to, to be honest, I started sprinting with my dog a few weeks ago. That is hard. It is hard for me physically. It's hard for me to think about when I get up in the morning. Oh, let me put on some sweats and it's 32 degrees. Let me start. But starting is the most important part. Mm-hmm. L- That's
1: Yeah, perfect advice. Thank you so much for being here. We love getting to talk to you. We will put the sh- uh, links in the show notes. Check out Dr. Wander's. She has so much to offer. And again, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening. Thrive is created with the hope that we help you develop motivation and inspiration to make your life remarkable. You can find out more about me at napkinnotesdad.com.
1: I invite you to get my free audio download, Reclaim Your Life at crazyperfectlife.com with tips and tools to help you feel your best. It would mean so much to us if you shared this with your friends and family and left us a review on iTunes. Remember, you deserve to thrive. Thrive Podcast is copyrighted by Darren Garth.